Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free. Did you know the best seeds for your garden don't come from the nursery? In fact, the seeds that will create the most robust and delicious fruits and vegetables come directly from your garden. This is because they are uniquely adapted to your growing conditions, better than anything you can buy from a fancy catalog or website. Through the magic of seed saving, it is quite possible to have the garden of your dreams. The best part is, Saving your own seeds is surprisingly easy and fun. With a bit of instruction, anyone can become a seed-saving superstar. Let us teach you how in our free seed-saving webinar. Just text SEEDS to 33444 to sign up or visit SeedSavingHacked.org for more information. That's SEEDS to 33444 or visit seedsavinghacked.org. You're listening to the Urban Farm Podcast, your partner in the grow your own food revolution. Whether you've just been introduced to urban farming or you're a lifelong advocate, we're sure you'll leave feeling more informed, equipped, and empowered to dig deeper into the soil of your local food economy. With you every step of the way, here's your host, Greg Peterson. Welcome to the Urban Farm Podcast Chat with an Expert series, a segment that we will periodically do as relevant and newsworthy topics present themselves. In each chat, we will ask an urban farming expert questions related to their area of expertise, diving more deeply into some important issues of our times. Today on our chat, we have Bill McDorman, the Executive Director of Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance in Ketchum, Idaho. Bill got his start in the bioregional seed movement while in college in 1979, when he helped start Garden City Seeds. In 1984, Bill started Seeds Trust High Altitude Gardens, a mail-order seed company he ran successfully until he sold it in 2013. He authored the book Basic Seed Saving in 1994. Then in 2010, he and his wife, Belle Starr, created Seed School, a nationally recognized week-long training. He also served as executive director of Native Seed Search from 2011 to 2014. Bill is a passionate and knowledgeable presenter who inspires his audience to learn to save their own seeds. Welcome to the show today, Bill. 
Hello, Greg. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for being here again. And this is our one of our new features. It's a chat with an expert. And we're going to bring up all kinds of really cool things that are going on out in the world today. And I want to start with the Mountain West Seed Summit. That's something that Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance is doing. Can you tell us about that? Well, it's the culmination of the three years of hard work that we've done to try to find the people that are actually saving seeds and starting to share them again in the Rocky Mountain region. The goal of the organization is to have all the seeds for the Rocky Mountain West come from the Rocky Mountain West. Nice. Yeah, so we thought it would be fun and very advantageous for us all to come together uh-huh. and uh, and see, ch- see each other, meet each other, um, share seeds and stories and needs. And so we can all go back to our respective regions and uh, get back to work. So that's really the, the underlying reason for the, for the summit. Beautiful. So this is the Mountain West Seed Summit, sponsored by the Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance. It's called Honoring Origins and Seeding the Future. It's March 3rd and 4th, 2017 in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I assume that people can still get in, right? Oh, yeah, you can. Go to RockyMountainSeeds.org and you'll find handy links to sign up. You can sign up for the two-day conference. We've got one-day passes. We try to make it as easy as we can for you. We've negotiated with the Santa Fe Hotel right downtown, old Adobe uh, Hotel that's going to take care of us, so you'll be within walking distance of everything else Santa Fe. And, and you know, we've, um, we're representing the whole Rocky Mountain West, and obviously we're at the southern end of it yeah. have our conference. There's a couple of reasons for that. One is that, you know, wintertime is when people have more time for conferences. And right. There's still a lot of snow up north, and so this will be a good chance for people to come down out of that snow a little. And I personally wanted the conference in the southwest. My own experience down here tells me that there's something really profound and deep and meaningful and powerful about tapping into agriculture that's more than a thousand years old, and that's what you find in the in the Southwest. And yeah. so, most of us mountain folks, you know, grew up in mountain towns that haven't been around for maybe even a hundred years. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, so to get started uh, for the first, the very first Mountain West Seed Summit, I wanted it to at least understand and maybe hopefully be influenced in a positive way by some of the deep, um, I'll call it spirit that's alive and well still in the Southwest around seeds. And so that's what we're going to really hopefully uncover. And that's the honoring origins part of the conference. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm on the website, the webpage for that Rocky mountain org, And I'm looking at the list of people that are going to be there. And I, it's jaw dropping who you have there. <laughs> I mean, Bill McDormand's going to be there. <laughs> well, yeah, I'm, they still let me come. <laughs> <laughs> Who are some of the other people? I mean, I see Casey O'Leary. I see Christy Orr. I see Flor DeMaio. I see Dan Hobbs. You know, these are these are people that are epic in the seed movement. Well, you know, you're right. And there, it's going to be, there, there will have never been anything quite like this as far as a gathering of real seed stewards for this region. You know, we've gone way out of our way to develop relationships and to invite people. But the surprising thing to me, Greg, is people like Andrew Kimbrell, who's, you know, director of the Center for Food Safety in Washington, D.C., 
actually asked if he could come and present. Wow. And so why, why would somebody on a national level try to come, you know, to a regional seed, seed event like this? And, and I think the reason is that in the end, you know, the seed movement will have its most power in regional movements. Yeah. And we're just one of those regions. And we're one of the first ones to really organize well, I think, and to put on our regional conference. Um, every year now there's a California Seed Growers Conference. That's, yeah. You know, and so that's another sign. And there's a grain grower, organic grain growers conference in the northeastern United States. So we're seeing signs of that. And so we're all kind of coming up together, but it just makes sense. Once you learn how to grow and share seeds, who are you going to share them with? Right. Or your climate. And so, you know, in the end, I think it's biology that will delimit this movement toward us organizing together. And it will be these regional organizations that really represent the power of this movement. And I think that's the reason why we've got some great national speakers. They want to come and be part of this juju, you know, as it's first getting going. And, yeah. And, and so I guess my invitation would be, if you live in a different region of the country and you really see the logic behind this, come to our Mountain West Seed Summit and see how we do it. We're learning on the fly, and we've got a lot to learn, I'm sure, but we also have a lot to share about what we've gone through to get to this point. Yeah. And so we'd love to be part of an association, I guess, of regional seed alliances throughout North America. And so come to one and see how we're doing it. Now this is, so you just said that. We've known each other for at least a decade. And you just said a, an alliance of regional seed people. And this is something that's not new. This is not, this is not a new conversation. We've been having this conversation for a while. So tell us about that because that is really epic. Well, you know, we can, the most, I, I still really believe, and I, and I know you do too, the most powerful thing in a modern person can do probably is to start growing some of their own food mm -hmm. and saving some of their own seed. I mean, it's just such a profoundly powerful activity. It changes your consciousness and your politics. And it changes everything and your, your health probably. Yeah. But, and, and so that single act is really powerful. But when we then form alliances out of the people that are doing that, I'm convinced now that we can change everything. You know, in fact, we're going to have to do that if we want to change the politics and the way things are organized on our continent. There's just too many things being done at a policy and a political level now that can hurt us as yeah. individual savers. And so, you know, it's out of that is this new need to come together and get to know everybody. And then you get the added bonus of being able to share seeds where people could really use them and you can find new varieties that could really help you in a way that you couldn't in any other way. And so that's why these regional associations are so powerful and so necessary. Yeah. So you, you've kind of alluded to this notion of we need to take our seeds back. And can you say a little bit more about that? Why is it important? Well, there's a, first of all, I guess, you know, we have allowed our business model to evolve to what I call a late-stage monopoly, you know, stage. And so what that means is that the only seed company left and really operational in the world on a large scale are monopolies. And there's a handful of them that are now controlling 60, 70, 80% of the world's seed. And they continue to merge. In fact, we 
we hear now that the new Trump administration is going to green light the sale of Syngenta to Chem China, the largest chemical company in China. Wow. And that Syngenta will merge with Bayer, which is a Belgium company. And so the, the, seed, the great seed companies that started in America aren't even going to be American-owned anymore. Yeah. And so what that means on a practical level, we could, we could get into and try to argue whether that's good or bad. And I'm not, I don't do that. I don't get into right. those arguments. The practical side of it is that it means that they're so big that they're not going to breed, produce, and sell seeds for you and your small ecoregion. Right. You know, you're not a big enough market. And as we learn more and more about permaculture, we realize that if we're going to be resilient and sustainable into the future, we're going to have to have those sorts of things adapted to where we live. And so what they've done, in a sense, is opened it up for us. I like to see it as an opportunity. I mean, you know, on the, on the one hand, we say, oh, my gosh, there's nobody left breeding things for us on a small scale. On the other hand, we can say, wow, we get to be the ones that breed things and save seeds and distribute them on a small scale again. Uh-huh. And taking our seeds back, what I'm saying is that now we're going to push the reset button and we're going to try to get back to where we were a couple of generations ago in America, where every small region had its own source for its own seeds adapted to that region. Uh-huh. And so, so what we're doing isn't even new. It's just like getting back <laughs> to work. And so, you know, and that'll be done through seed library, through seed exchanges, and new small seed companies. And that's what we're trying to find and link and celebrate with our Rocky Mountain Seed Summit. Nice. Nice, nice, nice. Again, the Rocky Mountain Seed Summit is March 3rd and 4th, 2017 in Santa Fe, New Mexico. RockyMountainSeeds.org. You can find all about it there. So in our pre-conversation that we had, we kind of touched base on several things of interest that have gone around in the country and in the world. And we talked a little bit about the International Seed Library Committee. What's going on with that? Well, that's one of the working titles. You know, it turns out that there are over 500 seed libraries have registered at seedlibraries.org. Wow. Um, that fully operational or they're organizing and about to open. And that's worldwide. And maybe more than 400 in the United States. Wow. This represents an incredible grassroots movement. And some patterns are starting to emerge. And that is the needs of these new new grassroots organizations that are happening all across the country. Mm-hmm. Um, need help. How do I do this? You know, what, what, are, what are the rules for this? How can I get other people to help me? Who can answer my questions about this? And so basically this committee has been formed um, to formalize an organization that would be there for all of these people. It would be a website. It would be a 911 you know, number to call or to a place to email if you have legal problems. Oh, nice. Yeah. Library. Sort of. That's one of the things we talk about a lot. And a place where you can share information with all the other seed libraries. And so we met um, for the first time last summer at, um, actually, a, a group of people came together at the International Seed Library Conference that was held in Tucson a couple of springs ago. Mm-hmm. That was followed up last summer by uh, a committee meeting at the Seed Savers Exchange picnic, their annual picnic in Decorah, Iowa. Wow. And it's been followed up by a number of conference calls. 
And it turns out that Seed Savers Exchange, which is the largest seed exchange in, uh, in the world, actually, uh-huh. and USC Canada, which is an equivalent seed education and exchange program in Canada, have uh, decided to partner and put up the funds to actually get this thing off the ground. Nice. And so right now there's, we're in a detailed phase of what's it going to say, who's going to own it, control it, and how is it going to be done. And yeah. So it's an exciting new development, and I think it's just reflective of, of how the world is changing. We know that the seed industry, on the one hand, it continues to go into genetically modified seeds, patented seeds, and to be involved in larger and larger businesses. Mm-hmm. And as I said, on the other end, there's this new worldwide grassroots movement to take our seeds back. And this is going to be one of the tools that helps that happen. Beautiful. So for our listeners that aren't familiar with the term seed library, what is it? <laughs> one of the things that becomes apparent once you start you know, getting into the the 400 seed libraries even in the United States is that they're all a bit different. Oh, yes. And so it may be that the, a, a real definite definition, you know, has yet to be, is, is yet to come about. But uh, what I like to say is that it's a place where you can go get your seeds for free locally. Mm-hmm. Go check them out, if you will, in a library type system. Now, um, it turns out that maybe half or more of the seed libraries are actually in book libraries. Mm-hmm. So nice. it really is a library. Yeah. And you actually check them out the way you would a book. And then, um, how do you check them back in? Well, that comes from a really, really old principle that uh, and Shiva is really um, helping to revive in India, and that is, if and when you can, you will grow enough seeds, you will learn how and you'll grow enough seeds to check back into your seed library twice as many seeds as you checked out. And what that does is help to build the community resource. Nice. And so we've got some spectacular examples of that around the United States that are actually, or half or more of the seeds now in the libraries have actually been checked Checked back back in? Oh my gosh, how great is that? Yeah, it's really, it's working. You know, we do know how to do this, I really believe. I think a third grader and figure this out with the right, yeah. with the right information. I think we've had some third graders actually start seed libraries. <laughs> nice. Idea. Right now, you can go to seedlibraries.org. You can get the information on how to start your own seed library. Yep. You can see the list of sister libraries. You can see if there's any that are near you. If you go to the RockyMountainSeeds.org website, we're mapping all the ones in the Rocky Mountain West, and you can actually um, pull up a map and see where they all are and click on those and get information about the libraries that are starting to come around. So it's really beautiful. exciting. Beautiful, beautiful. One of, one of the curious things that I noticed in one seed library was they had taken the old card file, you know, that we used to look up. Oh, yeah. You know, for, for us old schoolers at the library, you used to walk in and there was a paper file in drawers and you'd open up these little long drawers and in there would be the list of where the books were at. Right. And they, card catalog. A card catalog, exactly. And now they're using that to store seeds. They're just, they're just those little index cards yeah. that were standing in every library in the yep. world probably are the same size as a seed packet, seed packet. Um, sideways. Yeah. Isn't that it's, epic? And, and just at the time when all these seed libraries went electronic and didn't need their catalogs anymore, yep. now they're focusing them. It's really an exciting development, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it really, really is. So 
experimental farm network. You know, I've heard of that one here here recently. What is that? Well, you know, I try to keep up on. I'm a real believer that we're, you know, and I try to stay really positive. And and I and I, you know, I just don't fight against much. Uh-huh. You know, I'm not here to fight the, especially the world's largest corporations. Yep. I think enough work to do, um, doing the work, creating our own system. Until we have all local food and it all comes from local seeds, we have a lot of work to do. <laughs> yeah. And look around the United States at really great examples of people that are doing it, self-organized examples. And that's the category I would put on the Experimental Farm Network. And from what I can tell, it's in uh, Pennsylvania, maybe based out of Philadelphia. It's 30 farmers. And these are small market gardeners, growers, farmers that have self-organized to start planting as many new and different kinds of things as they can, seeing if they work right where they live, Uh and saving the seeds for those things that work best, and then starting to share them. And so they now have a seed lesson. You can actually buy the seeds from the varieties that they've so far found that work best for them. Wow, this is exactly what we need to happen everywhere. We're starting with a little of the examples of it, and that's just the latest. I know Casey O'Leary with the with her Snake River Seed Co-op in Boise, Idaho, has done somewhat the same thing. Yep. Uh, Light with the Sierra Seed Co-op has, has one going. Um, we're starting to see this throughout the United States. So that's just another example of these uh, collective or cooperative ventures that are coming together to do the work that we really need to have done. Yeah. Well, and, the, and the grain cooperative kind of fits underneath uh, this as well. Right, we've got a Heritage a Rocky Mountain Heritage Grain Trials program. We've got over thir- we've got thirty two, I guess, farmers, gardeners, and market size farmers that are doing this with grains that will be adapted to the Rocky Mountain West. And we've actually we started last year with about one hundred and thirteen different varieties. And some of them, would, Greg, when you when you get new grain varieties, if you get little packets of grains that are actually old grains that used to grow in the Rocky Mountain West right. through what we call GRIN, the Genetic Resources Information Network set up by the U.S. government. Um, they only send you 50 seeds of each variety. And so last year we started with 50 seeds each of many different, of 113 different varieties. And uh, we planted them out to see if they worked. And then we tried to increase the seeds so that more people could try them the next year. Right. And so this would take two, three, four, five years before we get up to farm quantities, say 20 to 50 pound bags of these grains, uh-huh. but by then, know which ones work for us. And so we've started this process in the Rocky Mountain West. And again, if you're interested in doing that, you can go to our website and sign up. We're still looking for more people to help us do this. To help grow them out. To help grow them out, you know? And if you don't really know how to grow grains, great. If you know how to garden, we need you. Plant 50 of these things and tell them if they grow or not in right. your yard. And if the ones that grow, save the seeds from them. That's really all we need you for the first year. We've got a little grain trials manual that we've uh, written up that will teach you how to do this through the first three years. It's based on other programs. Thank you, Monica Spiller. Thank you, Ellie Wigosa and others that are blazing this trail in other regions of the country. But there's a lot of activity out there to try to get us up and operational around our own food system. It's really yeah. exciting. 
cool. So while we're on the subject of grains, I know you have a story inside of you about one of the really epic successes of a grain here in the Southwest. It's called Sonoran white wheat. I want you to tell that story. Well, it's really one of the reasons why I'm so positive about this movement because, you know, I'm a cyclist and I like to do group rides with people my age. And I found myself at a table with, with a fellow who used to teach agriculture at the University of Arizona. And he had um, quit his job as a professor and then went to China and actually started a, a business, an agribusiness there with some partners. And they were dealing with large-scale agriculture. And he asked me what I did. I, at the time, I was the director, executive director of Native Seed Church, at uh-huh. conservation. and you could just see him look at me and go, oh, Bill, you know, I know that sounds really important, what you guys are doing, but you're so cute and small, and you'll never make a difference in the world. Uh-huh. Just this demeaning sort of attitude. And what I didn't get a chance to tell him the story, but what, what we have discovered wasn't just small and cute. It, it was now large and changing the world. And so that's the story. Basically, Sonoran White Wheat was brought here by Father Kino. He was the first Catholic missionary to come into Arizona. Uh-huh. And, and when he came, he brought wafer wheat, they called it. This is the body of Christ. This is the wheat that they would grow and make those little wafers they would use every Sunday with the wine in their ceremony to, you know, symbolize the body of Christ. And so everywhere Catholic missionaries went, they brought their wheat. And it turns out this is one of the oldest wheat varieties there is. The Catholics in Spain who first came to the New World got it from the Moors, and they got it from the Fertile Crescent. This goes all the way back. And so all of a sudden, Arizona, Native Americans see this new crop being grown. It's a grain crop Uh that can give them food, and it took them about a day to figure out. This is the Pima, the Sonora, this is the Gila River people, this is what we call the Tohono Autumn now. Uh-huh. About how to grow wheat as well as corn, which is what they were growing before the missionaries came. Right. That's where we, that's where we, they got the idea for flour tortillas. Within a few generations, they had one of the most beautiful and abundant agricultures in human history, especially along the Gila River. They had so much grain, they gave it, they sold it to both sides of the Civil War. Both oh, nice. And, and there are flyers that say that if, after the war, that if you were going to the California Gold Rush from the East Coast, take the Santa Fe Trail, take the Southern Route, and come through the Gila River Valley, and those Native Americans there are so successful with their agriculture and so generous. Don't fill up your wagon with wheat on your way through so you'll have enough to eat. Do that. Wow. Well, this is Sonoran, what we came to know as Sonoran white wheat. Well, dawn of the modern era. The Gila River is dammed. The Gila River people, agriculture collapses. Within a generation, in the 40s and 50s, they're starving, actually. Uh Uh-huh. And the, and the seeds to this incredible wheat that had now been adapted for hundreds of years to the desert southwest disappears. And the founder of Native Seed Search, Dr. Gary Nabin, found a couple of handfuls that were still in, um, being held by the Tana Autumn. Brings them out. We start growing them at Native Seed Search. And within three and a half years, we have 
1,100 acres of it growing again as part of a, a SARE grant that we got originally to restart a local grain economy. In nice. Yeah. That's just how fast this can happen. Hayden Mills has been reopened. Yeah, in Mesa and Chandler, Arizona area. And uh, we're back up and running the way that was before this economy collapsed away. And so you know, we like to think that what we're doing is important. Let's find the stuff that we used to be growing here a couple of generations ago, stuff that didn't need as much input, stuff that is adapted to this region. Even if we only find a handful or, say, 50 seeds of it, let's get started. And we yeah. can create a agriculture that's adapted to where we are. Nice. Nice. You often talk about a seed steward and being a seed steward. What, can Tell everybody what that is. Well, you know, what What we discovered when we started the Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance is that, you know, after my, especially after my experience at Native Seed Searches, I didn't want to be part of a million-dollar nonprofit anymore, you know, that had to, had to use a lot of its energy just to maintain the nonprofit. What we really wanted to do was find out what was out there and hook it up and find out what we needed more of and educate people so that we could have more of that. Mm-hmm. In this journey, in the last few years, we found these characters, Greg. These are real characters. These are people that have been growing and saving seeds for decades. They've, they've been on this pro. They've seen the need for this to, uh, to, uh, 10, 20, 30, some of them 40 years ago. And they have found varieties, whether they're grains or vegetables or crops they think will be important in the future, like amaranth, which is, as Thumbs Heath told me, is a pigweed. That really doesn't need any inputs at all. Right. They've been growing and saving the varieties and breeding new varieties of these, in a sense, for decades. And so those are what we call our seed stewards. These are people that are stepping up in their community, that are taking on this work, that will share the seeds with anybody who wants them, and will take the time to answer questions and educate and bring their communities up around them around this important work. So that's really where our definition of seed story comes from. Now, in the Rockefeller Seed Alliance, we allow anybody who wants to be a seed store to sign up with one. And all we really require is that you grow and save the seed seriously about at least one thing, all right? And you're willing to share it. Mm-hmm. And if people come and ask you um, and have questions about how you did what you did in your area, great. That's all you need to be a seed store. And together we'll start this new network of people that can be the resources in their own communities. And again, if you go to RockyMountainSeedLine.org and look at our page under resources, you can search our directory of seed storage around the Rocky Mountain West. And now actually we have people signing up throughout the United States. I saw that. You can either map it, and when the map comes up, you can click the people that are closest to you and find them and email them directly if you have any questions. Yeah. And if you want to be one of those people, sign up and help us. That's what the Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance is. It's you. It's everybody out there. We're just trying to hook everything up using the new tools that we have. <laughs> and then we're going to get out of the way and go home and save our own seeds and yeah. be part of this beautiful network. Perfect. Perfect. So Carol Depp has a new zucchini out that you told me about the other day. Tell us about that, please. Bing, 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 bing. You know, <laughs> if you could dream up the perfect seed steward. It would be somebody who taught genetics at Harvard for 25 years, has impeccable credentials, and then moves home to save their own seeds in their own backyard for more than 15 years. That's Carol. 
And she doesn't really have a seed company, she says, but I have, she has a seed list. And if you want the seeds of the things that she saved or bred in her own backyard, you can do that. And so she just announced not just a new zucchini, but a whole new class of squash, as she calls it. And it's called Goldini because it's yellow. And so it's a yellow zucchini, so it has extra carotene in it. We mm-hmm. know it's more nutritious. She claims that those are the things that bring flavor. That color actually brings flavor to it. But she has selected, she's bred for and selected it so that when it's really young, you can eat it fresh right out of your garden like you would a cucumber. It's the first new, what she calls cucumber squash. Wow, what a great idea. Just pick them and eat them fresh right in your garden. Uh-huh. They're so delicious and crispy. Or if you want to let it grow a little bit longer, you can let it grow into a zucchini and you can you can harvest it and slightly steam it or stir fry it and you've got delicious fresh zucchini. Or if you forget about it, like all of us do usually with our zucchini, and some of them get beyond the fresh stage and it bloats into this big thing, in Carol's and Goldini's case, it becomes a delicious and storable winter squash. So you get all three classes of squash, uh-huh. as she calls in one new gold <laughs> package, Goldini. Yeah. Wow, this is being a steward on steroids. <laughs> nice. So I'm I'm on Carol Deppe, D-E-P-P-E dot com, and that's where we find out about the Goldini squash, if you're interested. Sounds amazing. It absolutely sounds amazing. Well, you know, and so, you know, in the past, in the last couple of generations, if someone like that did the work, uh, Carol would have patented it or sold rights to another large company to market it. This isn't the new world. Carol is board, actually, of the Open Source Seed Initiative. Uh-huh. And so what she's done is put protections around her seeds so that they stay in the public domain, that nobody can ever take the genetic work that she's done and patent it anywhere down the line. Nice. And help the Open Source Seed Initiative, if you really believe in things like this, help Carol out. This is really a beautiful statement of where we're going in yeah. this world. So, Bill, I know that Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance and seedsave.org and Urban Farm U, we all do a lot of seed training. And I know that you also have a Denver Seed School coming up in April. Can you tell us about that? Yes. You know, our goal at Rocky Mountain Seed Alliance is to use 80% of our energy either in building our network through the directories, like I've been talking about on our website, or um, inspiring and teaching new people to become part of that network. Mm-hmm. It just seems to be the most important thing. We need a million new seed papers. That's, that's something that I've, another campaign I've been trying to get started. And so in view of that, you know, our, we always try to have educational events lined up so that people from all over the world, and they do, they come and learn how um, to go from zero to 60 and get up and running and uh, around seeds. Uh, we've got 19 now of our graduates from our six-day seed schools have started their own small seed companies mm-hmm. and those numbers of seed libraries and others as a result. So the next iteration is in Denver. It's at the Posner Center. It's going to be April 2nd through the 7th. And again, you can sign up at RockyMountainSeeds.org. Uh, it is a six-day immersion. Well, it take probably 25 students, and so don't wait too long if you're interested in it. 
and you can get all the information. But uh, I will be there teaching it uh, along with um, several other superstars and others that have been through our seed school teacher training program. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask you about that next. Yeah, we have another one of those on the books now, October 1st through the 6th. And we're going to do that one also in Denver, Colorado. And it's an incredible opportunity. If you're ready, if you're an activist, if you've been saving seed, if you see just how important it is that we get thousands of people up and running around seed saving and teaching around seed saving, think about coming to our seed school teacher training. Um, we have an application. You know, we pick the very best people to be part of that program. So if you think you're up to that, do it. We've got um, a thing now we call Seed School Online. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, I'm doing that with you, Greg, and yep. that's going to be available in March. And all of the people that go to our Seed School teacher training get access to that. Yeah. So it's sort of a, a Seed School Online on steroids to get you ready with the material. And then we teach you how to highlight and deliver that material in the most efficient manner possible, learning everything that we've learned through the West Coast permaculture movement over the last 20 years. And so, and everything we've learned through our 30 or so seed schools we've taught now with maybe over 900 graduates. And so that's, that's the lineup that we've got coming in. It's really exciting. If you're interested in Seed School Online, it relaunches on March 1st, and you can find out about that at seedschoolonline.com. So, you talk about this notion of being the people of the pinch. And I saw that vividly when you were talking about the Sonoran white wheat, where, you know, you got down to a few handfuls of seeds. And now here, what, six years later, we've got tens of thousands of pounds of Sonoran white wheat that are being grown. So talk to us about the people of the pinch. Well, this came out of, you know, the end of lectures that I do in my seed schools. And it was actually students who, who came up with the idea of people of the pinch. What I was talking about is that, you know, um, there are estimates, and you can see this in the movie um, Seed Dunn's Hope Story, which is going around, which will, I heard just the other day will soon be on PBS. Oh, nice. Um, that we've lost maybe 90 to 94% of the diversity in our agriculture. What that means is that 90, more than 90% of all the varieties of all the vegetables and grains that we had maybe around the turn of the century in the United States are no longer being used. They're no longer available. Yeah. I don't think they're all extinct. They're just not there. And so that, you know, after 10,000 years of creating an agriculture that was adapted to every little niche, ecological niche, every cultural niche around you know, our great continent and in our great nation, within two generations to lose over 90%. That's, that's profound. And there are those of us that, well, we know biologically that the strength of your ecosystem is going to be how much diversity you have. Yeah. And now we're facing all this incredible uncertainty into the future with climate change, with political change. We're going to need all the diversity we have, folks. And so I'm positive about it. I think we're waking up. I think the seed library movement, the movement of new small regional seed companies, the seed schools and the people signing up, all of that is indicative that we're turning the corner, that we're waking up, that we understand how important this is. And so 
just for a minute, I've reflected back. What is it going to look like in a thousand years when we look back at this moment? 10,000 years of agriculture created all the diversity. Um, we got down to lo- losing 90% of it in the early 21st century, and then we grew it all back. Hmm. And now here we are, you know, a thousand years into the future. We're sitting happen, ha- happy and fat with all this diversity again and all this beautiful abundance in our own local food systems. And we're going to look back at these people in the early 21st century that took on this responsibility to save those handfuls of Sonoran white wheat and grow them back again and grow back everything that we've lost. And so that's where this idea, those are the people of the pinch. They may be the most important people living in the early 21st century when all is said and done. Because if you don't have those seeds, you won't have an agriculture. And I think once we look back at this era from our vantage point in the future, we'll understand that that's true. So join, join us. Be a person of the pinch with us. <laughs> become a <laughs> seed steward. Yeah, become yeah. a seed steward. That's really, yeah. that's it. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show and sharing your experience with us today, Bill. It has been a treat getting to chat with you. Oh, Greg, it's a pleasure and an honor anytime. You know, you, the work that you do is so important, not only in your own backyard and what you've done with the urban farm over yeah. all these years, but what you do to get this word out, word out you know, yes. through the urban farm use. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. So website again for the summit? RockyMountSeeds.org. Perfect. And you can find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org backslash seed summit. Well, that's it for today. Thanks for joining us on the Urban Farm Podcast. Did you know the best seeds for your garden don't come from the nursery? In fact, the seeds that will create the most robust and delicious fruits and vegetables come directly from your garden. This is because they are uniquely adapted to your growing conditions, better than anything you can buy from a fancy catalog or website. Through the magic of seed saving, it is quite possible to have the garden of your dreams. The best part is, saving your own seeds is surprisingly easy and fun. With a bit of instruction, anyone can become a seed saving superstar. Let us teach you how in our free seed saving webinar. Just text SEEDS to 33444 to sign up or visit SeedSavingHacked.org for more information. That's SEEDS to 33444 or visit SeedSavingHacked.org. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Urban Farm Podcast. Remember to listen three days a week for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. Hey, Urban Farm Podcast listeners. If you're as passionate about preserving the bounty of each season as we are, hey, I canned my first peaches at the age of 18, and that was a long time ago, then you're going to love what our friends over at Denali Canning have in store for you. They're on a mission to spread the love and knowledge of food preservation, and they're inviting you to join the journey for free. 
Right now, Denali Canning is offering free canning lids to anyone who wants to dive deeper into the world of food preservation. Yes, you heard that right, absolutely free. It's the perfect opportunity for both seasoned canners and those curious about starting. Denali is about quality, reliability, and supporting the canning community, ensuring that you get the best results every time you preserve. So why not give it a try? Visit DenaliCanning.com forward slash free to claim your free lids and start your preserving adventures today. That's DenaliCanning.com forward slash free.